listening to My Life, My Say's podcast. Good evening, good evening. My name is Swazi and if you've just logged in, then welcome. Welcome to Quarantine Question Time, hosted by My Life, My Say, a new digital space for young people to receive expert advice on coronavirus and its impact on young people. I will be your hostess with the most desk tonight. My name is Swazi. I host a Kiss Breakfast show tomorrow morning. Woo! At 6, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Um, and I'm also the voice of BBC Sounds. So if you ever hear BBC Sounds, music, radio, podcasts, it's me, guys. Um, and so, yeah, we are so great and so thankful to have you guys. This show will take place every Thursday next week, starting from 6.30 p.m. And each week, we will aim to select a panel with a broad range of views, knowledge, and experience, and who are relevant to the big stories and debates of that week. Make sure you follow at My Life, My Say on all the socials, Insta and Twitter, um, and be part of the conversation. We want to hear your thoughts and your questions, and you can do that by using the hashtag quarantine qt we'll be following that for all live questions and comments this week i've already said on socials the lineup is certified let me give you the names this week we are joined by the gorgeous by the one and only abana apong asari newly elected labor mp for erith and thamesmead and since the start of this crisis abana has been on the front line campaigning for self-employed workers to get a fair deal as well as ensuring the nhs staff are protected with the right personal protection protective equipment. Queen Abana, please say hi to the people then. How are you sis? Hi, I'm okay. I'm doing, I'm doing fine. I think this is a really good thing to do. So I'm really excited um, oh, to be so excited to have you. My downtime. <laughs> I'm loving that you're bringing the sunshine with that yellow as well. We see you. We see you with the swag. <laughs> Um, we're also joined by the incredible Dr. Yes, you heard me, Dr. Martin Edivore. Hello, sir, a general practitioner and vice chair of the Fabian Society. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you, sir? I'm great, thank you. Um, you know, Swazi, I'm so glad to be able to take part in this. I think it's an awesome idea that My Life My Say has got this off the ground. And I'm really looking forward to hearing all the questions that you all have at home and taking part in this conversation. Oh, we are so excited to hear from you. And later on, guys, we are busting myths about coronavirus. And so I've got questions on questions for you, sir. I'm ready for your gems. I'm coming for I'm, you. I'm ready for the questions. <laughs> Perfect. Um, we're also joined with mental health campaigner and founder of Mind Matters 2, Meg Tina Wimithi. How are you, sis? I'm doing well. I think this is the best thing that's happened <laughs> since life spread. This is brilliant, like an amazing lineup and a fantastic conversation that I'm so, so grateful to be a part of. And I'm loving your energy. I feel like you've brought sunshine to me, let alone the swag. This is amazing. <laughs> you found the light and right. Look how everyone, she's just glowing in her Zoom video. Look at this. <laughs> Come through. Um, and of course, ladies and gentlemen, someone who I adore, our wild card this week is the one and only Gina Martin, author and political activist who led the campaign for upskirting to be illegal in the UK. Yes, sis, how are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm so <laughs> glad to be here. I'm actually really stoked we're all going to be like having a positive productive talk because it feels like there's not been enough of those recently and I've just been sitting in my pants for a long time so I'm pretty stoked to be here. <laughs> I'm pajama bottoms. I love how everyone's got their top half really you know neat but you know I think the pajamas are all <laughs> <so>. <laughs> 
Um, cool. Well, if you have just joined us, welcome again to Quarantine Question Time. And before we start, I just want to run through some of the ground rules and how all of this comes together. Um, so if you've logged into the Zoom webinar, there is an option for you to raise your hand. Throughout this event, you will have the opportunity to make your own comments or ask questions to the panelists. In order to conduct this in a fair way to allow everyone the opportunity to speak, you will need to indicate by clicking the raise your hand function and I will then uh, call your name to unmute you as a speaker and then you can fire away, say hello to the panelists and fire off your questions. Um, the Q&A aspect, if you prefer not to speak um, and, and to write down your questions, you can use the Q&A function on your screen. Um, the chair will then choose your questions and we'll throw that over to the panelists as well. Um, there's also something called live polling. We are very excited to be doing this. We'll be practicing democracy in action by giving you the opportunity to vote throughout the event. This will pop up on your screen when I indicate and you will just need to vote and then we'll collect the results and chat about them all the way through the show. Um, so yeah, welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Swazi. I'll be hosting this um, and taking you all the way through. And I think it's time to hear from our audience members and from you guys who've locked in. Um, we're gonna open up the poll, our first poll of the evening and today's poll the question is this what worries you most about COVID-19 what worries you most about COVID-19 um, and so I think this will pop up on your screen um, and you can vote any of those answers um, and we can go to some of the panelists just as you do that just to hear what you guys think um, might be the number one thing that worries young people about COVID-19 Martin let me come to you first um, let me ask you, what do you think might be the top priority for young people? Well, I guess a lot of people are probably worried about, you know, their loved ones and, um, you know, their family members and their risk. Um, a lot of people will probably be worried about some of the myths they've been hearing about COVID-19, the way it may spread, um, and some of the WhatsApp messages they may have received or theories about how COVID-19 came about. And, you know, Every day we are all in isolation, you know, it can be a bit sort of, you know, worrying for a lot of people out there. And I think one major worry a lot of people will probably have is about the potential strain on the NHS. And hopefully we can kind of answer some of those questions and alleviate some fears, but also clarify some things. Yeah, perfect. If you've logged in guys and you can see the poll in front of you, you can see some of the options that we've put down. Um, so the poll this evening is, what worries you the most about COVID-19? Um, and you've got a few options. You've got job security, people close to me who are at risk, economic crisis, the strain on the NHS, which Martin, you've rightly touched upon, um, getting ill myself, loads of people of course are worried about their health, supplies, like shopping, it has been, if anyone has been in Tesco and seen just the queue to get into the supermarket, you know this is probably going to hit one of my number one things that I'm worried about, um, and housing, housing also comes up as an option, um, so job security, people close to me at risk, economic crisis, the strain on the NHS, getting ill myself, supplies and housing so you can vote right now we're going to take the answers real soon but let me come to meg meg you are all things well-being healthcare, um mental health as well what do you think young people will say and rank number one a hundred percent mental health i'm even surprised that's not on the poll um sadly and um i can answer this from a point of view of working in this space but being a young person myself shout out to all the young people taking it day by day so i'm 22 so i would still say i'm in that young category no one at me 
Um, and I would definitely say that your mental health at the moment, because of all the things that are going on, is something that you'll probably be a really, really um, concerned about. But another thing about that is the uncertainty about your future. As a young person right now, at home, put your hand up if you are just about to or were approaching your GCSEs, probably most of you. You were approaching your A-levels, probably most of you approaching getting into your first year of university or finishing uni altogether, those are many of the transitions. So I have a feeling because of everything going on, you're in the time of your life for the first time where you actually don't know what the next step is. And it's not because of you not knowing it, it's because of everything that's happening around you. So I would definitely be not surprised to see that job security will come up, but education security should have been on there as well. Yeah, great, great response, man. Definitely those who are just in that really vital space of taking exams and going on to the next stage, that will be, um, yeah, something that, that people will definitely be worried about. Um, Abana, I can see you nodding along to Meg saying there as well. So I just wanted to throw it over to you. Do you have any thoughts of what may come top of this poll that we've started this evening? I think with the poll, maybe people may say they're concerned about people close to them. Yeah. Um, that you know I'm coming across when I'm speaking to a lot of people that they're concerned about those who wanted to say that I agree with Martin and Meg um particularly Meg particularly on the mental health thing I don't feel there's a lot of support out there for people with mental health um I'm getting getting contacted constantly by people like in the last week last week I've been dealing with bereaved families and they've got nowhere to turn to to speak to people and it's not just people that have lost their loved ones, it's people that are in self-isolation as well. You know, for some people, they've never been um, in self-isolation before. Um, they're having to make a lot of changes to their life. And it's really, it is really affecting people mentally. Um, and I think that we're, we're not prepared for the outcome of this, to be honest. I think um, we haven't really thought more about the mental health aspects. We've been thinking about more about the job security aspect, which I think is important. Um, and also the NHS but we also need to look at all the other issues that go alongside it so yeah yeah perfect perfect and it's really lovely to hear from your world you know it's lovely to know what you get up to and what this crisis has looked like and um, yeah so much to come back to you later on as we're going to be busting some myths guys and, and the, the, the false facts and the true facts about COVID-19 that's coming up real soon in the show um, let me come over to Gina as well Gina I know you've got loads of young people in your friends list man loads of people talking to you what do you think might rank number one when we're talking about what things may worry young people most about COVID-19 I think on that list, I'd probably say people close to me, uh, what Avina and Meg said, but I think what Meg said was really resonated because that, that whole list feeds into mental health, you know, and I have a lot of, yeah, like you say, a lot of young people who follow me and kind of my, I guess, priority right now is not to be, you know, on social media mainly, as not to be the girl who's giving hot takes on this, not to be the girl who's talking about this and giving my opinion on this, that's not helpful, but just keep people lifted and positive because I think we're processing so much and I think young people are already processing so much now more than I even did and I'm 28 um so I think that has to be a priority and and like we say we often look at economic impact and all these kind of um business situations we look at money we look at um the kind of technicalities and logistics and stuff but the human impact on on the way people feel about themselves about their lives about their trajectory is going to change massively so I think mental health is huge 
Yeah, definitely. And just before I come back to Martin, just to ask a few more questions about health, I just wanted to know, have you seen a lot going on in terms of, um, well, activism is a big and loaded word, but just the things that people are doing that are so community-like and so positive mm. and just, you know, it's incredible. So yeah, just anything that you've seen along the way that you've just been really proud of young people doing that you think, wow, that is really the spirit of, of a young heart just trying to help. Oh, there's been so much. I think, you know, I'm kind of a bit of a lens or a, a little funnel for people sometimes because I have, I do that job and I have a platform. People will come through and say, hey, could you share this idea or try and get people to sign this thing? And I get hundreds of those a week and it has been overdrive the past yeah. two weeks. People are literally sitting down, spending time trying to come up with ideas to help. And there's been a whole bunch of campaigns, but one that stands out to me, I, uh, last weekend I came up with a, a campaign idea and I, I kind of pursued it and it kind of, the brands took it on a couple of days later but before I, they took it on I cancelled it because I saw a group of other young people doing this idea called Meals for the NHS where they had an idea on the Saturday same day as me maybe there's something psychic going on there um and they got like five mates involved they designed this platform this website they started a fundraiser up to almost a million pounds and they're delivering food to NHS workers all around the city and that was like immediately as lockdown happened so you know people are really I guess more likely to share and help out and connect online to kind of come together for the greater good because I think they're realizing now that they we really have to like band together in a way that maybe we, would, we wouldn't have before so I've seen an uplift in it massively which is really heartening actually yeah no definitely yeah it is really heartening you do just see the craziest acts of kindness at a time where it really is needed and it just magnifies you think wow do you know what um of course this has brought so much tragedy but it's also brought a lot of good and it's brought people together so um yeah it's amazing we've got some of the results in guys um Mark, i'm gonna come to you first the strain on the nhs just as we voted 23 percent of young people says that um worries the most have you got any advice for people who are really worried about the nhs a question that i would had i had was about volunteers I thought if I volunteer do I become a strain to the NHS am I um you know going to become a burden in case I get ill and then and then all of that takes a left turn where I actually wanted to do good so 23% say the most that worries about them is the strain on the NHS what do you think about that you know first of all that is a very very valid worry um, we've seen how the number of cases in the UK of coronavirus COVID-19 has risen exponentially we know that um, in the UK, at the start of the crisis, we had the lowest per population ratio of what we call intensive care beds per population. And in addition to that, we had a, to start with, a very low number of um, ventilators, which is one of the major cause and what, um, causes for concern in the UK at the moment. And the capacity and ability of the National Health Service to withstand the COVID-19 pandemic is a true worry and is a worry of policymakers. That's why the government has you know, implemented quite a few um, key strategic um, um, you know, changes and goals. For example, building the new Nightingale Hospital um, in Excel, for example, to increase our ITU intensive care capacity. In addition to that, another huge worry is when the crisis began, as many of you may would have already been aware of, every Christmas there is often a bed crisis in the National Health Service where there isn't enough inpatient beds 
A&E gets flooded over. So we knew that the capacity and the ability of the NHS to withstand shocks like this was already strained. So it's a worry that um, rightly the public has. The government has taken a series of steps to address some of these concerns. We saw Matt Hancock give another daily briefing today in which he reiterated his five-point five plan, um, including marshalling some of the private sector to help and support in the creation of some of those um, ventilators and to improve our ventilator capacity. Um, on top of that, there's the whole issue of testing. And one thing that has been happening at the moment, a huge criticism which I would echo is the lack of testing that's occurred so far. And we really need to increase our testing capacity. Currently in Germany, they're testing hundreds of thousands of people per day. Um, we're, we're nowhere near that number. So the concern that can the NHS withstand this is a very good one. What I will say, and one thing I really want to do is pay tribute to the NHS frontline workers, from the nurses, to the doctors, to the pharmacists, to the lab technicians, to the cleaners, to the cooks, who are all working day and night to ensure that our NHS stays functioning, stays working, to provide the best quality care it can provide in this time. So we really need to thank those workers who are the backbone of the National Health Service and who are at the front line of this. Um, another thing I must highlight, and I'll be remiss to not mention this, is as a GP myself, the lack of personal protective equipment at the start of this crisis is something that must be highlighted. And if you have a uh, family member, friend or relative who works in NHS, one of the things that will concern you maybe is their own risk. And a lot of uh, people working in NHS have highlighted their worry of the lack of personal protective equipment. The government has said that they're going to correct that. Um, however, that, is, that remains a huge concern among many. Yeah, and I think the government has said a lot of things in the last couple of weeks and you just think, oh my gosh, this is, this is like a movie. You know, when lockdown happened, you were thinking four reasons to go out. And so I just wanted to um, send that to Abana really and just be like, what is, um, what's the, the feel within, within your group chats or with other MPs? And when we heard that message that, you know, you can only go out for these four reasons. Um, yeah, do you think that young people or, or people in general responded well to that? Or is there a worry that people are not taking these reasons for not going out unless you just need those things um, seriously? Is that a worry, do you think? Hi, sorry, just having problems with my iPad. Um, yeah, I think that the idea of the lockdown was a good thing, actually. Yeah. Um, I don't think people were taking the concerns about COVID-19 and the, um, really seriously. Um, we've been looking at what's been happening in other countries. So by the time the lockdown happened, we were two weeks behind Italy yeah. um, in terms of the amount of deaths. Um, and I don't think it was an easy decision to be to be made. I think the lockdown should have happened a lot earlier, to be honest, because um, I remember when the Prime Minister announced that, you know, try and stay at home, you know, encouraging people to stay at home. What I was seeing and what I'm dealing with right now is I'm getting loads of cases from individuals that are being made to go to work 
when they don't need to go to work, but their employers are saying, because it's not essentially mandatory, that they don't have to work and they're saying that their work is urgent when it's not, they are basically being put at risk, as you probably saw recently with Sports Direct, where employees were being told to go to work. Um, so I'm in a difficult situation at the moment where I don't think there is enough clarity that's being given to people to explain why the lockdown is important. Um, you know, I've, I've seen the impact it's had on families, people that have died from the COVID. Um, and it's, it's really serious. You don't want to lose your loved ones. Um, you know, it's really important that we all play our role in self-isolation. You know, I remember um, just when the, um, just before it happened, I went to my um, local supermarket and um, everyone was trying to do, you know, we've been told to do the two meter rule. No one was really following it. You know, I had someone right up behind me. They thought it was a joke. Um, someone actually said to me, oh, this whole thing will be over in a few weeks. It's just a cold, you know. Um, and then someone else said to me, I'm young, so my immune system is strong. You know, we've seen the instances of that 13-year-old boy that died um, recently. You know, this virus does not discriminate. Yeah. Um, but I can talk to you about my role a bit later, if that's what you want me to do a bit yeah. later. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, I'm going to kick things off now and open up the section of the show called Busting Myths um, and all about busting through fake news. So before we get into each and every one of you guys' expertise, I just want to throw out and ask you guys, what is the funniest or fakest news that you have come across? And I'll probably go to Meg first because your smile is gorgeous, but it looks like you've seen a lot of fake news as well. So I just wondered, have you seen any fake news? <laughs> I've seen it all. I've seen it all. Oh my goodness. I think the funniest one, um, especially what Abina said at the beginning, was obviously people not taking it so seriously. So the first one I heard at the very beginning, and everyone will remember, is that black people don't get it. So that was a very big thing across London, where it was like, oh, because of, we're from like warmer climates, that black people aren't affected by it because there's a pigment, obviously, in our melanin that protects us from it. So that was a very absurd one. Um, the idea that um, cats were the reason that it was transmitted. I think another funny one this week, apparently it's a, something that's going on on WhatsApp. So the WhatsApp aunties, in my culture, we have aunties that send you all of those chain messages. And one of the newest ones is about it was transmitted by 5G. The fact that we're all using like our 3G, 4G, 5G, this is the reason why we have coronavirus. So I think they're the funniest ones. I can say from the top of my head that I was like, this just, it's not, there's no logic behind it. They're just, yeah. they're just there for the banks, for sure. <laughs> Shouts to the aunties though. The aunties will keep your data running low. There's no more data for you left. Um, do you know what though? I do want to shout out people who are like, well, I'm not too sure about the 5G thing, you know. I'm a conspiracy theorist or I'm actually someone who's thinking maybe there is something radioactive in the air or something like that. So Gina, let me know any fake stories that you've seen anything that's made you giggle that you just think how on earth has that come through so there's two you know it's facebook for me i don't really go on facebook that much but when i do i'm like oh god because we talk <laughs> about misinformation being spread yeah i'm like why am i here this is just full of like fake news yeah. um we talk about misinformation being spread and a lot of people talk about gen z like how are they gonna kind of navigate the the online world with all this fake news Every single young person I've worked with is like, yeah, we know loads of the information on the, on the internet is fake. We know to go to multiple sources because they know how to navigate this world. It's people like my auntie and, and my mum, and my, not my, actually my mum, but my mum's age group who are kind of spreading this misinformation. I saw these two 
just mind blowing. The first one was a picture of the back of a Dettol um, spray bottle, mm. and it says on the back, "May stop coronavirus." So obviously, coronavirus is a generalised strain of flus, and there's lots of different types of coronavirus. And it said at the top of it, pass this on to five, ten people you know. Um, how did Deton know about it before we knew about it? This is obviously um, a plot. And I was like, oh my God, no, it, no, it isn't. <laughs> and then the second one I saw um, was based on the same thing. So my mum, someone at my mum's work basically said to my mum, um, they know about the, what it is that's on the back of bottles. And obviously it's in the spray. They're, they're spreading it in the antibacterial sprays. And my mum just turned around and said, if they were going to do that, why would they put it on the bottle? And I was like, yes, absolutely dead right. But all this misinformation and people are believing it. It's so worrying. It's why we have to get just the facts out there. Mm, yeah, it's so true. I mean, do you see any funny stories that in between your time and just work and everything that's made you giggle? Or you just think, how on earth has that come through as a fake news story? Um, yeah, um, I had a, um, someone email me um basically um saying that um they thought they had the virus because um they saw um someone on tv and yeah. i was like well no one's actually directly come to you so you obviously haven't got the virus yeah and i was like have you actually met that person mm -hmm. and i'm like no but i saw it on the tv so um i think <laughs> there are some some crazy things out there and also people also saying oh if you go um somewhere hot um i'm gonna be fine so like some people are like it's all right i'm just gonna book a holiday somewhere in the tropics um that the virus isn't gonna go there and i'm like well the virus doesn't discriminate against any uh, any climate yeah. so that's not gonna yeah. work the main thing is just making sure you keep yourself safe and washing your hands mm. so yeah yeah, great advice, great advice. I've got a question coming from Galena. Thank you so much for logging in, Galena. Um, I'll throw this to maybe Abena, really, actually. Why do we not see any more info on totally recovered COVID UK citizens? Is this something that the government just doesn't put out because for whatever reason? But I find that a lot. Loads of people want to know, you know, we can see the numbers growing of the deaths, but why not the numbers growing of those who've recovered? So, yeah, thank you so much, Galena. I'll ask Abena for that. Yeah, I think um, the reason being is the, the amount of people that have died in comparison to the number that have recovered is a lot higher. Yeah. So I think basically it's 3,605 people have died from the virus. Mm -hmm. um, also, another thing is we, um, there are people that may have had it, but they don't know because um, of the testing. Not everyone's being tested. So you're hearing from people that said, actually, I think I may have had the virus because I've had the symptoms. Um, but they haven't actually been tested. So we're, we're not there, but um, you know, work's being done to do the testing. I think the reality is that we need to be honest about the fact that this issue is really serious. There are people that are recovering, but we need to be making sure that it doesn't spread, um, particularly it doesn't spread and impact, as, impact people because it's a lot worse. If you look what's happening in other countries, the, the numbers that have died, it's, it's really high. But yeah, and also I think another fact is not everybody wants to share their story about the fact that um, they've, they've, they've gone through it. You know, some people are quite private about that. Yeah. Um, I just think the, serious, the seriousness of this needs to be highlighted a lot more because the stories of the amount of people that have died in comparison to the amount of people that have survived is, is, is higher. So yeah.
Definitely. Thank you so much. And thank you, Galina, for sending in your question as well. Um, guys, use the Q&A function. We want to know your questions and we're going to be coming to them for the Q&A section as well. Um, I'm going to go in on Martin in a second at seven o'clock. So Meg, you've got two minutes here to answer this question. Um, someone has asked or said to you, we love you, Meg. Um, what advice <laughs> would you give on setting up your own project to make most of the time we have in light of COVID-19? So yeah, we've got so much time on our hands. What advice in two minutes would you Brilliant. give to set up their project firstly whoever you are i love you too come on i love that, that positivity so love to you too um this is a really good question because i think i'm in that position where, as well where i'm like i've got a lot of this time i've got a lot of like intellectual resources like i'm you've got a lot of skills at the moment and the best thing for me i would say to you is just do it that's the most thing like in this time there isn't like you don't have to use the excuse of oh but i've got this to do or this like this is the time and the time is now. So that's the first one. The second one I would say is collaboration. Like at the moment, I think there are a lot of things going on. And Gina actually had said it as well. Like she had very much realized that there was another organization or another group or cluster of people doing it as well. And I think that's a great thing. I would be, I would pay attention to the fact that you don't always need to start things. In this generation, particularly as a young person, we constantly feel like we have to be the way makers. You don't. Like, there are different roles in society, which they always have been. And sometimes there are those who start things and there's those that finish them, but there's those that build them as well. Become a builder right now. Like, join into an organization, see where you can help, and most importantly, contribute. I think that that's the best thing that you can possibly do. But also, starting projects and the core of being like um, an entrepreneur or a campaign or advocate is solving problems. Yeah. And that's the only thing that you need to focus on, like falling in love with the problem and the solution will always change. So what is it that is something that breaks your heart? For me, this is how you know what you need to be solving. If you ask yourself one question, ask yourself what breaks your heart? Yeah. And for me, the thing that breaks my heart always is going to be the fact that not everyone gets the same opportunities around the world and that the fact that education is so key and yet we never actually look at it as something that needs to be changed and evolved and right now is the perfect time to be thinking of new ways particularly for young people where education is not something that is being paid attention to and there's a lot of unanswered questions how can young people come together and create schools for ourselves a lot of you have incredible notes a lot of you have incredible resources how can you share them with your peers so that would be the one thing that i would say but most importantly find ways that you can collaborate like the social media and i guess the access of the internet means that you can talk to people from all across the world not alone in the uk what can you do to create communities online to make the world a better place and that would be my three go-to's Ah, oh, amazing, Meg. We do love you, man. Thank you so much for um, the person who was anonymous but sent in that question. So thank you so much. Um, seven o'clock has come. So we're going to kick off this section and it's all about fake news. So yes, we've just done a huge dissect of loads of people just hearing so many fake stories. And now we're going to get to the nitty gritty and really bust some of those myths. Um, so Dr. Martin, I'm coming to you first. And I suppose given that this is the first episode, the first time we're doing this, we just want to set the barrier straight. We just want to put the foundation down and so I'm coming to you to ask, what is COVID-19? How did it get here? What is the key facts about it? And what are the true things that we need to know that separates out all the false stories? Yeah, give us the lowdown. Yeah, yeah thank you, Swazi. So first of all, um, COVID-19 is a virus, part of what we call the coronavirus family. It's the same virus that causes um, common 
um, conditions such as the common cold. It's also known to be part of the same family of viruses that have been known to cause more serious respiratory conditions such as the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome and also SARS, the Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. COVID-19's official name is 2019-N-COV, which stands for 2019 Novel Coronavirus. And the way that coronavirus um, began, it originated from Wuhan, and it's thought that a spillover event occurred. These viruses are commonly found in animals, and what is thought to have happened is that coronavirus, in the process of, um, you know, in a, in a what we call a wet market, where they sell um, live um, animals with uh, meats, so a spillover event occurred where a virus was transmitted to a human and then spread. Um, coronavirus spreads by droplets and it is an infection which has a range of effects. In most people that get coronavirus, they have mild symptoms, but some people, they develop very severe respiratory symptoms, sometimes a pneumonia. And in the worst case scenario, it can cause death. Those who are elderly or have pre-existing medical conditions are at risk of developing severe symptoms from coronavirus. And it's thought to not affect the uh, very young as much as um, older elderly people. Having said that, from what we've seen so far from the mortality rate, coronavirus can affect a wide age range. So it even though you may not develop symptoms, you may be able to pass it on to someone else who could be negatively affected. The most effective way to stop the spread of coronavirus is to wash your hands. That's why you may have heard um, very early on, the government repeat multiple times to wash your hands with soap and regularly. So coronavirus, that's coronavirus in a nutshell, Exactly. That's it. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Um, thank you so much. And also, where can young people or, or anyone really, um, where are the go-to pages? There are so many pages now popping up with cures and this, that and the other. So could you recommend a few pages if someone has got symptoms or someone is caring for someone who's not too well? Where can these people go? So the first point of call I would recommend to anyone is to go to the um, official NHS coronavirus webpage. Um, I think that's um, nhs.co.uk slash coronavirus. You can Google coronavirus NHS. That first initial page is really useful because it tells you what to look out for. The main symptoms are a temperature or persistent cough, and it can provide you with more information about um, how long you need to self-isolate for, that's not being in contact with anyone else, and it can provide a bit more information. If you want to go into more detail, an excellent page, which I think people should visit, is the World Health Organization official page on coronavirus, which can go into specific fact-checking about the coronavirus, and also can give you a bit more data if you're interested in getting very specific information, especially about the way it's affecting other countries. Um, another website which I think has had had amazing coverage is the Guardian. Um, even though it's you know it's, it's a it's a newspaper, however their coverage on 
the coronavirus, especially the day-to-day -day coverage in the UK by the live blog has been phenomenal. And another area which, and another website which I think has been great is the BBC as well. Yeah, amazing. There's so many. Thank you so much. It's really, really helpful. I'm coming to you to talk about home remedies real soon because I've seen some aunties really send me every video under the sun about boiling onion and ginger and inhaling it and saying that will cure me. So I'm coming I've to received, you. I've received some of those messages as well. <laughs> I'm coming to you for the home remedies. Um, Avan, I'm going to jump over to you and talk to you about government and the role of politicians. Um, there's been a lot of myths that are flying about to say MPs aren't doing the right work or they're not focusing on the right thing. So we really want to understand from you, from your world, um, what is the role of politicians at this moment and how are you guys keeping the government um, yeah, in check and making sure that um, they're accountable how does that work so parliament's role is essentially to during this pandemic is to basically look at easing the burden on the communities um, key workers and charities one of the things that i've been doing specifically is making sure people in my constituency in Erith and Thamesmead are kept updated um, i've had to operate in a really different way as well because um, obviously we're not based in Parliament at the moment because we're practicing um, self-isolation. So um, I made a decision um, quite early on, I put a contingency plan in place to make sure that um, when we we're going towards that route, I knew we were heading that route, that um, all my staff would work at home and that we'll still have a way of communicating with residents. Um, so um, all of us are working remotely, we've got all our laptops, we're on it every day. Um, one of the things that I'll say is a bit different is the fact that I'm not able to access my phones, like answer the phones directly, but um, it's connected, my phone is connected to my laptop so I get voicemails and I do call people. I'm, I made a decision of not um, opening, um, receiving our parliamentary posts because I didn't really want to put my stuff in a, a situation where they could be affected or we could be affecting our residents as well. And so I publicly um, said that on social media that, you know, everything we have to do is kind of a bit digital. Um, and it just means we have to operate in a really different way. I think that um, I guess that I'm quite prepared for it. Like my generation, I think some of the older politicians aren't. Um, I know that some of them have found it quite difficult, particularly when we're having discussions about doing stuff more digital. And to be honest, I really think that Parliament's massively behind um, a lot of places, I mean, councils are already having, they already got um, procedures in place to have digital meetings. Um, so um, I sit on like select committees. So, um, you know, for the next first time, we're going to be doing that digitally. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's a really, really good thing. And you know? so we, if we're asking people to be safe and practicing self-distance, um, self-isolation, and I think as politicians, we should be doing that as well. Mm -hmm. um, I noticed though in, in the last few weeks in Parliament um, we started to try and be, be a bit more careful so the last um, two Prime Minister's question time um, essentially we had a discussion amongst um, all the MPs within our party to essentially say that um, in terms of going in the chamber um, people should only go in and if, if they've got questions to ask because it just looked, it looks a bit ridiculous at one point where we were telling everyone to basically you know, stay two meters apart. Yet we were all stuck in the chamber, quite squashed together. Um, and Westminster was quite high, I guess, in terms of like people getting the symptoms or getting the virus. Um, I say in terms of how I'm holding 
um, the government to account. I'm really vocal, um, particularly also um, I've been lobbying particularly on concerns about self-employment. Like I just didn't think the Chancellor was offering a good deal. You know, I think, you know, the government's in a difficult situation at the moment, regardless of what party it is. Um, I do think that, you know, they offered good measures to help people that were employed, but I just felt that the same should have been offered to those that were self-employed. So I've been lobbying uh, on that for quite some time. You know, I wrote to the government minister, I made it publicly, um, I pub publicly put stuff on social media, on Twitter and Facebook to let people know. And then also what I, was, what I also did was I had a meeting with the Deputy Mayor for Culture and other people from the sector particularly the arts and culture sector, like equity and stuff like that, where we had a discussion about what we could do to address that. Um, I have daily meetings with one of the councils in my um, constituency, so I cover two, two brothers, and we just basically, it's with me and the other local MPs and the leader of councils, just talking about locally what the issues are and how we're going to react with it and what contingency plans have been put in place and how we're going to reassure people and stuff like that. I'd say that my casework has tripled massively. Wow. I am basically on um, dealing with cases every day and I've got a small team and um, the impact of the work, particularly as a new MP, I'm a new MP and I'm still setting up my office. Um, it's just insane. Yeah. And you can see um, the mental impacts, like Meg was saying, that is happening to people. You know, my biggest concern is that I don't really want to open up an email and find that a constituent has committed suicide um, because of their circumstances. And, um, and I can see us going, going that way, um, particularly as, as time goes on. And it's something that I am particularly concerned about. So I am identifying things that, you know, that are falling through the gap. So I don't really want to go on, but I can give you an example of a case that I dealt with just yesterday where I was contacted by an elderly resident that had, um, it was a couple that did the online food shopping for the first time, and they'll normally go to the supermarket. Mm -hmm. And what had happened was um, the wife has a pacemaker, she's been in and out of hospital, and the husband has been in and out of hospital, they're about 70 years old, and um, they had been accepted um, to have shopping, but for over a week hadn't been given a slot, and they were, about to, they were getting hungry. Mm -hmm. And so they knew who to contact, so they contacted me, and I managed to get it resolved. But my concern is that there are many vulnerable people across the, the country that don't know who to approach to, to get that kind of support. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. about this all the time, but I know you've got no, other... Yeah. And I just want to encourage you as well, what you said about a lot of politicians um, struggling to be online and to be digital, and for whatever yeah. reason that is, you're leading that sort of like conversation forward and getting a lot of people to jump online, because it's true, if you're not online, it's a struggle, isn't it? Um, yeah. So thank you so much for, for what you shared. We're coming back to you, Abena. We're coming back to you. We've got Sophie, who's also logged in. And before I go over to Meg, I just want to bring Sophie into the conversation. And I think we can actually hear from Sophie. So Sophie, are you there? Da, 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 da. Hello? Hello, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. You've got a question about education. I have, yeah. So I am in year 13 and I'm currently doing a level three BTEC in business. Cool. So as far as we were made aware, it was obviously when A-level exams were cancelled, our college told us that we would be going ahead as normal. 
and now it's come out because a lot of universities where we like my classes applied to have emailed us saying oh well once we know we can let you know what's going ahead like without with like specifically BTEC results and other vocationals um, and then obviously today has come out with what is going on with GCSE and A levels um, but hasn't with what is happening with like BTECs and other vocationals so it's more my concern is that I'm now not going to be going to university in September whereas that's what my goal was for this year it was to go to university so yeah 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 thank you so much thank you Meg I probably want to just go to you really because I know you mentioned education earlier in the show um and and for people yeah this is going to be a massive massive change and Sophie as well just want to encourage you you're not alone there are thousands and and loads and loads of young people who are in the same boat as you and asking the same questions um so Meg I just want to yeah throw it over to you and also in the same vein just give us the do's and don'ts of good um well-being as well like yeah how does someone manage their mental health in that respect as well because this is a, a big worry oh, oh press the wrong button so um so for was it sophie um an amazing question because it is absolutely valid i think there's been a lot of discussions about um sort of secondary education but nothing much about higher education and I think someone asked the question, what should young people be doing? Let's start demanding for answers because higher education has been completely forgotten. There is not really much conversations about university, how that's going to function because of the main reason is in the sense that the academic term starts in September, as many of you will know. And a lot of the exams are saying that they're going to take place in September. If you're me or you're someone like me and logically you're thinking, how does that work? If term starts in September and exam starts in September, how does that work? You're not alone. I was very baffled as well. And I think this is the real time where as young people, this is your life. This is our life. You are allowed to ask questions. You are allowed to demand better representation from your MPs, from your local councillors, because this is what they, they, this is what they're good at. They're good at getting those answers. So as a young person, I would say like, please don't be worried because this is the first time everyone's been going through this. So chances are everyone around you is thinking the same things like what's going to happen next. So that's one thing I would say, but please, please, please do not fall silent, demand answers, keep active and make sure that you are getting what you need out of your institutions, like bug them. This is the perfect time to bug and push because you are just as entitled to finding that out as much as your like educators are. So that's the first one in terms of education. Um, in terms of mental well-being, I love this question because I think I'm learning about it every day. So I have a mental illness and I can comfortably say through our research and actually research that was conducted by Young Minds about a week ago, about 85% of all young people, so all of us who already had some form of mental health problems um, since the coronavirus has increased um, for a number of reasons so firstly how many of you your routine has completely transformed where you would normally get up in the day you're getting up at like 5 p.m and you're like what's going on um, you may be used to seeing a lot of the people around you so your friends and now you can't you may be used to having your extracurriculum activities and now you don't so the biggest thing to that is routine but you can do something about that and for, for now, it's, a, it's actually quite a fun um, experience about finding out what works for you. So right now, what would work for you in terms of your mental health is building a routine that works for you. 
So it isn't, it is not by force that you need to wake up at 5am and be productive and tick all these things, but you need to find some form of normality. So what time do you prefer to get up? If it's 11 o'clock in the day or 1pm, that is absolutely fine, but let it be a choice. Let it be something that you take ownership over. And part of that routine looks at having time for yourself. I can say um, quite embarrassingly after the first week, my screen time of quarantine went up by 40%. I know I'm probably not the only one. My screen time was off the wall. And I knew at that point, um, we, we kind of don't, I think a lot of us downplay how much social media can also negatively impact your mental health. So as much as it is good, it can also have a really negative impact because instead of actually living your life, you're spending time living other pe watching other people live their lives, right? And you're seeing a lot of information that maybe you don't have a choice over. So for me, I realized during that, in the increase in my screen time, I was bombarded with information that I didn't want to. And it wasn't that I didn't want to know what was going on with coronavirus. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't constantly having to think about it because at the end of the day, and I think there is nothing wrong with saying this, but there is more to our lives and there's more going on in the world than just coronavirus. And the one thing that I do actually want to get everyone to think about is there are probably, actually not there are probably, there are more people dying right now from suicide than they are coronavirus. And that's a fact, right? That is an actual fact. And yet, I wish if I wish people took mental health as seriously as they're taking physical health, because this is something that is a pandemic as well and killing people and affecting so many people, particularly young people, and we're not taking it seriously. So in this time, please take ownership of your mental health. So building a routine and yes. restoring some form of normality is amazing. Another thing to do is get out. And I know this will have a bit of kind of paradox to it because it is this sense that you're supposed to stay in, but no one said and actually the government regulations is that you should go out for that one piece of exercise one thing that my friend said they didn't say how long so you can go out once and if it's like an hour and a half let it be one hour and a half that you can go out for just you because that is a form of feeling connected to the rest of the world i think my daily walks and something my team do we go all on a team walk um and we actually do this with our community so with my mind matters too um we all go on daily walks so everyone goes out and we make daily walks something that's interactive so one part of it is about becoming present so one thing that we do is games on our daily walk so like what's one piece of art you can see around you someone found a tree that they walked past every day that had a face that was carved into it and they never realized after living in this place for over 10 years so it just goes to show you how busy our lives are and how we forget to appreciate the little things yeah. i would also say the last thing too much is journaling Okay, journaling. that's my last one journaling is amazing whatever you have i have this tiny little one and i love it but journaling is really really important it's a time that you can just reflect and have time to kind of talk to yourself all the worries that you have and some of the things that you may not feel comfortable talking to other people write them down this yes. is the time that you can be unapologetically in your feels and that's good so routine go for a walk and journal and in your fields. I love that. I love that so much. Thank you. Really, really good and practical tips. Um, we've got a call on the line next. I think Chantel's going to join the conversation. Is she going to join the conversation? Yes, Chantel Lewis is in the house. Hi, sis. How are you? You know that dramatic pause has really got my heart. <laughs> And Gina, I'm coming to you next because um, the conversation about 
just from what Meg was saying about, um, yeah, be unapologetic, get your answers. And I know you've got a lot of history with lobbying and just, yeah, putting your foot down and, and getting your voice heard. So I'm going to come to you in a second. But I just want to know, okay, she's coming back in a second or so. So, okay, we're coming back to you, Chantel. Um, yeah, Gina, just to know about how can people get their voices heard? If you've got answers like Sophia had about her education, what, what, some, what are some of the tips that we can get from you um, about making sure that we don't fall silent and we do get heard at a time like this? So the first thing I'd say is, and most importantly, which I think goes back to mental health thing, which is obviously a big theme of our conversation, but I would say take your time. Right now, I feel like we're processing so much information and that pertains to our, if we've got money, if we're going to have housing security, how our parents are, that we're not going to see them for a long time, what's happening to our education, what's happening to our relationships, how are we showing up online? We're just completely over-processing. And I think, you know, I've, I'm seen as this very um, determined person, action-led person, I've done all this stuff, and I continue to do that stuff. I have really struggled the past couple of weeks to yeah. show up as that person because people, thousands of people have been looking to me to show up to that person and one thing I will never do is speak on something if I don't know if I haven't done my research and I don't exactly know what I'm speaking about so I think taking your time you know what I don't think it will be helpful for young people is to go out and try and find something in this situation to solve pick and choose I think probably in any kind of activism or campaigning the best thing you can do is look at your situation and go what is happening to me or my family or what in my story is really um, affecting me or am I thinking about or I want to talk about all the time because if we had a more diverse set of people fighting for the things that they understood and our best place to fight for then we'd have a way better situation there are a lot of people fighting for things that maybe aren't necessarily their story to fight for so I would definitely say find the thing in this kind of situation that's affecting you like for me I guess you know, I, my mum is in the vulnerable category um, and there's been a lot of problems around her job. My partner's still being forced to work, even though he is an essential. Um, so immediately that's been the thing that I've worked on. Like Meg was saying, you don't have to be the face or the start of this big thing, which I'm always fighting against with the law change, because obviously that's what I did. And I'm always saying you don't have to do that. I'm doing activism right now. I'm working with uh, my friend, I shouldn't really say, but some people to try and um, hold a company to account because they're making their workers work on essentially no one knows I'm doing that but it doesn't matter because I'm doing my bit to try and help because I'm best place to help because I've got all the information and the access so I would say um, look around find the thing that is affecting you that you can actually have a stake in and then look at your skills because you've got skills all of us do none of us think we do you, you might be great at teaching you might be great at writing you might be great at illustrator or crochet or whatever but you can even you know a friend of mine is doing paintings and selling them and 10% is going towards uh, paying for PPE equipment so you know take the thing you care about take your skill put those two together and just sit down and go you know what could I do it can be small it can start off small it can start off on social media as a just post or just an email um, but really I think it's looking at your story because if we're all doing that we find we're putting puzzle pieces down instead of trying to solve some massive overarching issue that's really intimidating yeah Oh, great advice. Thank you so much. And I love that what you've said and what Meg said really collides together because there's so many big organizations already doing things. It must be so easy just to jump in. So um, yeah, if you're online, if you're watching, um, there are so many great platforms already. Just just jump in and there's no stress and no strain to start a big old platform um, that is going to be overwhelming rather than yeah tagging along with some friends and just getting started with whatever is, is close to your heart. Um, we've got Kabir on the line. I hope Kabir is on the line. Yes, it's come up. Um, and I believe you've got a question for our panelists as well. So hi Kabir. 
Hi guys, how you guys doing? Good, thanks. Um, basically, my question was regarding um, something that you actually touched on earlier, Swazi. So the NHS volunteering. So um, what my question was is, what are the safety measures that would be in place for these um, NHS staff that are actually volunteering? And also, why, if, if we're being to told to isolate, isn't that kind of going against what the government is telling us to do? Because I think there was about, I think in two days, 600,000 people or something like that signed up to volunteer. So yeah, isn't that kind of going against the whole self-isolation and stuff? Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much, Kabir. Um, Martin, I might throw this your way, you know. So how do we hold and get that balance right between um, all the safety measures that we've been given, but also wanting to volunteer for the NHS? What advice would you give? So, um, first of all, it depends in which capacity you are volunteering. We've seen thousands of ex-healthcare um, staff, for example, ex-nurses and doctors come back into the front line. For lots of those clinicians, if they're going back into a situation where they may be interacting with someone who's suspected to have coronavirus or has confirmed coronavirus, they'll be hopefully given the appropriate personal protective equipment. So if you're volunteering in any form of capacity, for example, if you've chosen to volunteer at the New Nightingale Hospital, then you will be in a in those situations, given personal protective equipment, if you're in any way at risk or dealing with a uh, individual patient who has coronavirus or suspected coronavirus. Just on your on your point there about giving being given protection, how can young people be sure of that? Because there's so much to say that there isn't enough protective equipment. They don't have enough supplies. So how how can a young person, or how do we know that there will be um, supplies given to that person who does want to volunteer? Just to ask, as you've touched upon it. So, so in terms of when it comes to the question of personal protective equipment, um, there is a, you know there is enough gloves. There is enough surgical uh, face masks. The government has increased the amount that has flowed to the front line. I think there has been situations and concerns in certain places, for example, in care homes, um, of their staff not receiving enough. So there is still a shortfall in a number of places. The government has assured us that there is enough gloves and masks where required. So the hope is that that will be the case. In my um, situation in primary care, um, we saw a bit of delay a few weeks ago in getting those um, personal protective equipment to us in the general practice um, um, environment, but we've now seen a lot of those gloves, face masks arrive. So my hope is that the personal protective equipment that the government has guaranteed is there. And at a bare minimum, if you're volunteering, you should be having your safety um, guaranteed um, that is something that the government must ensure at a bare minimum. Okay, okay, great. Thank you so much. Um, Chantel's going to come on the line real soon, but before I go over to her, I just wanted to ask Abner as well, because I know you've been on the front line um, and you must be working and, and, yeah, just amongst people who must also have a real heart to volunteer. And so could you also shed light on that? How do you volunteer safely whilst also adhering to what the government's um, recommended us that we do? Um, so, um, one thing I'll say is look at council websites, so the councils, um, they all run in like their own voluntary databases, so in my area, um, the two boroughs are doing that, 
Um, there are also mutual aid groups as well that um, are running that are run by people locally in the community. Um, I have to say there are still issues about the PPE equipment. Some areas are quite patchy in terms of where they're receiving it. Um, so last week, my um, leader of the council, Greenwich Council and a number of us politicians did a call out on Twitter, um, basically asking members of the public to basically donate um, face masks and gloves, um, which I think is absolutely horrendous because um, we've got an issue where there are frontline staff or also not just frontline staff carers that don't have access to the equipment. Um, don't have the necessarily protected um, equipment so it's still an issue that is growing. One of the neighbouring hospitals around me, Dartford Hospital, they went to Screwfix to basically get like um, masks and stuff which is just ridiculous. Mm. Um, I think that we, uh, we do need the government to step up on this and I'll urge everyone to basically put pressure on. I've been contacted by people that are doctors and nurses that have got infected because they don't feel they haven't been given the adequate kind of like um, resources to make sure that they're checked at work. Um, I think that the level, I'm not an expert marketing is probably better than me at this, but I do, when I compare the level of like um, physically the quit, um, the stuff that's given to protect people in comparison to like say what Spain is doing, um, our standards are a lot lower. Um, and I just think that, for me, that's a real concern. So it's it's something that I'm still kind of lobbying um, on, and I think a lot of work needs to be done on it. I think in terms of volunteering, go to your local councils and register. Um, they're they're doing that, and the government has also advised councils to run a voluntary program. Um, there's various ways you can you can you can help in terms of like even just like delivering food to to um, people's houses, the vulnerable and you will be guided in terms of how to be appropriate in doing that in terms of like you know making sure you wear gloves knocking on the doors maintaining the distance and stuff like that so councils are doing that and they're massively under pressure um in terms of like um what people should be doing as well they need to also be more kind of careful as well you know think about you know be extra cautious in terms of in comparison to what you would do if you were volunteering before we, we've got to take those steps to you know think out the box in terms of like making sure that our actions don't impact anybody so you may not have the virus and you may think that you're helping someone but you just need to make sure that you know you don't know if you're a carrier so making sure that you take those extra steps not to infect people Oh, perfect. Thank you so much. And also just to say as well, like every um, eight o'clock on a Thursday night, um, I hope people come out to clap for our carers. And if you do do that, it's a really good way of just seeing who your neighbours are. Do you know how many people I've just seen across the road from me to be like, since I swear you live here, I didn't even know you was about. And so just seeing if someone's vulnerable or if someone's, you know, maybe a little bit older and, and may need help, then it's a good way just to peep at your different neighbours and just be like, okay, I've made a mental note now that maybe when I go shopping next, I'll drop off a few groceries to your house and, and so on. So yeah, it's not always just about, you know, going in and doing things that are, are far-fetched, but even the things on your doorstep as well was a great way to just um, volunteer and help. Um, okay, I'm going to go to Chantal next who i hope this will work are you there chantelle lewis hey hi hey. Oh, that last time. <laughs> <laughs> no 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 all good um let us know your question yeah so i was um i saw a um petition go around today about the coronavirus bill 
um, that I think came to effect last week. Mm-hmm. Um, my question is, um, how will that impact our human rights? And also, like, in terms of petitions, how effective are they in stopping these bills? Yeah. So did you hear that? So, big question. Yeah. 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 No, great question. Great question. Um, Abin, I might come to you for this one. Uh, yeah, for those who don't know, like me, what a coronavirus bill is, pff, I am lost. So please, could you shed some light on that? Um, and yeah, what does that look like and how does that impact our human rights? So um, the coronavirus bill um, went through um, Parliament uh, a few weeks ago. And I'll just quickly outline what's in the bill. So it gives the police um, greater protection, um, greater powers to do enforcement. So essentially they can stop you um, if they feel or ask you questions and stuff like that um, in relation to like why you're walking around, you've been told to stay at home, you can only go out if you are doing stuff like um, in terms of like urgent work and stuff like that. I've got personal concerns about that because um, I do feel that the um the system is a bit unfair in terms yeah. of like how the police operates i'm going to be completely honest and i'm concerned that it's going to impact particularly those from ethnic minority backgrounds um a lot more um unfortunately the bill was rushed through really quickly um so we didn't actually have a vote on it or time to probably debate on it but one of the things we called for was for it to be reviewed every six months and not every two years Something else that was in the bill that we managed to, um, as a party, the Labour Party managed to lobby for change was there was something in the bill about um, the fact that once, like, each of, like, say, the boroughs, um, they run out of space in terms of the amount of, like, um, space in terms of burial space um, in terms of people dying. Um, one of the things that was put in was about cremations, about automatically um, putting in cremations in place. And so one of the things that we did, which was led by Nash Shah, is put an um, Nash Shah MP, put an amendment in saying that basically that isn't, um, it goes against the facts, like particularly people from religious backgrounds, Muslim and Jewish, in terms of basically being cremated, and that they essentially need to be consulted um, fully to be before doing that. Um, and that actually, um, what happened, the government quickly put in the same amendment even though not acknowledging that our amendment was the right thing, but ultimately for me, it was a win-win because it got changed. But um, I also do feel that personally, um, it should really be a decision that should be left to family members and um, individuals, whether they should be cremated or not, um, because I do have concerns about that, that, you know, that choice being taken away, particularly now when we do have people that die of COVID, um, you can't go to their funeral. You can watch it through like a live stream video. And so I've been dealing with the impact it has had on people mentally, you know, not being able to, you know, say goodbye to someone that you love. Um, other aspects of the bill that I had concerns, I'm not going to go into the details of it, but one of the main things that I had concerns about was the, um, the Care Act, um, 2014 Care Act that was taken out which particularly helps people um, with disabilities um, in terms of looks at the aftercare and support. And that was removed from there. Um, And that's something that I thought was particularly concerning for me. And then also another thing about, um, I didn't feel that there was enough done in terms of supporting people that um, had having abortions, Um, regardless of what your views are. I do think that um, 
women should basically um i don't want them to be in a situation it's not an easy decision that i think people make in terms of having abortions and the fact that a lot of clinics have had to shut down because of the um because of the um the fact that it was the self-isolation and stuff it was um i felt that that more needed to be done to kind of help people yeah. um so that's something that the government has amended where you know following a conversation or going to specifics people can take the pill at home and then the other thing one final thing that i did have concerns about was the mental health um aspect in terms of the fact that normally you have two doctors that will determine whether you say essentially you need to be sectioned um the bill has been changed to one doctor and i have concerns about the fact that um is open to abuse and also i think that sometimes you do need a second opinion particularly when it's concerning mental health yeah. i think there is a stigma around mental health as well um and i do think that particularly people from ethnic minority backgrounds as well are massively going to be impacted by this so it's something that we're still kind of lobbying for um, in terms of changes and stuff like that. And obviously we won't know the impacts of the bill until we see it in action. And that won't be for a few months now. So, yeah. Amazing. And also we've got so many questions. Um, one to throw out to you guys. I'm going to ask Meg one first and then I'll come back to you guys. But what do you guys think about a virtual government? I mean, that's where it seems to be heading that everyone's going to be on Zoom and just be doing what we're doing. So it'd be lovely to hear um, what you guys think on that. But before we go there, just, just on the topic of um, yeah education as well, Meg, questions come in from an anonymous person. Um, says, BAME students tend to perform better than their predicted grades and the new system doesn't account for this as yeah. do you feel that the new a level system will disadvantage BAME students and how you think this, and how do you think this will be tackled as a BAME student how do you feel we should respond um yeah let me know if you got all that yeah i got all of that that was i, I saw the question i thought it was brilliant oh, oh, right, okay. um, it was a brilliant question because this is exactly what um youth twitter went to a straight away when this was decision was made um for a number of reasons i was also that bame student that my, my a level actual exams saved my life um my gcse exams saved my life if i didn't have my exams and just went off predicted grades that teachers had predicted probably wouldn't be in the position that i'm in now um mainly because a lot of bame i'm from an area where i was the only black person in my school but you're always having to fight your cause or fight your way through. So knowing that there will be certain teachers, and this is a lot of students will feel this way, not just Bain, but there'll be certain teachers that you would have gone through school that just have an edge for you and you've never been able to, um, never been able to explain it. They just got it out for you. And now knowing that a particular teacher that maybe doesn't like you or hasn't liked you now has your future in the palm of your hand is really off-putting. So in terms of solutions, um, I really like this because of, I think, you can either spend time just complaining about it or actually as young people, what we should be doing is gathering these testimonies. Mm -hmm. Again, like Gina made a very, very good point, which was sharing your story. Yeah. On Twitter, there was a lot of us sharing our story, but what, as a politician, Abina would be able to tell you is, it needs to be in a written format so then we can fight our case. So as young people right now, especially as a BAME student or a student who feels like you're going to be most at risk. Students as well with mental illnesses are going to be most at risk. I missed a lot of school because my mental illnesses. So my exams again really helped me. Um, so I would definitely say is write down your story, form a group, 
social media is amazing for this in the same way that we form pledges and things that we can sign petitions let's gather all these stories and fight our case together yeah so that's something i would say yeah fantastic i'm gonna come to gina next and then we've got a call on the line from tell tell just hang on two seconds i'm coming to you um gina i just wanted to know what's your thoughts on a virtual government because <laughs> your face lit up <laughs> i mean I'm, I'm i'm i love the idea of it i'm worried about it the one stark thing i noticed when i spent two and a half years in parliament was just the lack of understanding of how social media actually works and and seeing it as this sort of nebulous kind of thing um it should be compulsory to have training on social media it should be compulsory to have training on being a digital citizen and how to use it because it's just math and science um but we're, we're running into a situation here where young people don't feel connected to their politicians because they feel like they live in a slightly different world um i people come to me with questions all the time and i go have you talked to, talk to your local mp about it and they go oh no why i'm like because they exist to look after you you live in their constituency go and talk to them about it it's not it doesn't even come to their heads um and then we have a lot of politicians who feel like they don't really understand the way that kids are moving through the world. They don't really understand how they form groups. And actually that was probably the biggest um, golden bullet in my campaign was the fact that I could go away and do something on social and come into a meeting and go, everyone's really angry. And they go, how did that happen? It's like, I did it. I went out and told everyone and got people really angry about stuff. They have no concept of how people are forming communities online. Yeah. So I would love to see politicians become more accessible. I also, that is a very easy thing to say because politicians get a lot, a huge amount of abuse, especially women, especially black women, especially people of colour and politicians who are marginalised and, and um, not represented. Um, but I, I would love to see more accessibility with protections in place for those who are treated so badly by the public. Um, but I, I um, loathe to say I don't see it will ha be happening soon because they, a lot of politicians have a lot to catch up on. And I'm so glad that Bina's doing the work she is because we need more, more politicians like her who are going to get involved and get stuck in the world that young people are already existing in. Yeah, no, perfect. Absolutely. Um, Tell, you're on the line, I hope. Are you joining us to ask a question? Tell Bermondsey. Yeah, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How's everyone? Yeah, good, thanks. Good, good. Thanks. good, good. Yeah, I've got a good question. Uh, got a quick question for you guys. Basically, um, in relation to travel restrictions, um, I want to understand why we just can't simply go out for drives. Because for me personally, I find that quite therapeutic. So having that taken away from me now, I'm just stuck inside the house, and there's not really that much of a danger about someone being inside their car and just driving around. So I want to understand your take on it. Yeah. Great question. Thank you so much, Tell. Um, Martin, maybe you take this one. Is there a danger of people just driving around um, in their car? What's wrong with that? I, I think one of the um, biggest aims around social distancing is minimising and limiting the amount of interaction between people. I guess there's a worry and fear that if you do relax the rules and you do allow people to drive, some people may take advantage of the relaxation of those rules and drive to remote places where they can't be seen to interact with others. Um, so that's probably part of the logic behind that and behind it. I think the aim that the government and the aim that the kind of Department of Health are, are, are going for is to reduce as much as possible um, non-essential travel, non-essential interaction. I think that the moment you relax the rules, people may not take the threat of coronavirus and the threat of the spread as seriously. One of the mistakes that the government made early on, early on, especially Boris Johnson, was downplaying the threat of the virus and its potential impact. 
And so one of the things that the government wants to do is by limiting um, travel and discouraging people from driving, especially long distances, um, is to send that message that actually coronavirus is serious, we need to stop the spread um, as much as possible. And uh, yeah, that's the, that's the end. Yeah, perfect. Um, we've got so many questions coming now, so I'm going to do the quick fire round. And if you want to jump on call, um, then raise your hand because we would love to get your calls and questions as well. I'm conscious that we've got 15 minutes. How time has flown? Do not ask me. Um, so if you guys could keep your answers quick and snappy, we'll try and fire through as many questions as possible. Um, Meg, I'm going to come to you first and ask you, what do you think the world will look like in a year's time? Um, this is from Cathy, by the way. Hi, Cathy. She says, what do you think the world will look like in a year's time? How will society be different? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Whoa, this is a loaded question. You want me to see this one quickly? Wow, what an amazing question. Um, so really, really quick. Okay, this is really difficult for Meg. But I think the world would be in a much better place in terms of community. Like, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway, how much people can pull together as a community. Politically, I think we'll see a lot of changes in terms of people's ideologies. We're seeing a lot more people actually open to the fact of government taking more control and government taking more control of resources and dispersing that in a better way. In terms of education and the way businesses work, I have a feeling working digitally and remotely is actually going to become a thing that will be quite normalized. And it's just such a shame that in a government point of view, like why is the government falling behind? Businesses have been doing this for ages. Like they need to jump on track. And in terms of young people, I genuinely think young people are gonna feel so much more empowered by this. By this experience i think young people will take a lot more control over their lives i think we'll see a lot more people doing things that are very much more unconventional so we'll see the role of education and typical roots in life like the way everything should be diversified so i'm happy to say that i hope in a year's time the world's going to be in a very positive place yeah, amazing. Um, I'm going to flip the question and send it over to you, Abana. I just want to know, in terms of the world of work, are people going to go back into the office? I don't think so. I think a lot of people are like, I can work from home. I can do it from the comfy of my kettle and my table. So why am I trekking two hours to travel to work? What do you think the world of work, the world of work will look like after after this? Um, there's a there's two sides to this. So um, those that are working from home, um, I think they'll be very creative. They would have made sure that their technology was up to scratch in their workplaces. Um, the concerns I do have is about jobs like in the hospitality sector, um, in the retail sector, and those that work in creative industries, because um, they're struggling right now. Like I've seen people's businesses that have essentially disappeared overnight. Um, so I'm worried about um, what the situation is going to be looking at, uh, look like in a year's time because they've taken a massive financial hit. So um, we're gonna see things in a very different way. I think people are gonna be cooking meals more. Um, <laughs> I was talking to Ocado today and their, their demand has gone up a lot, but they're also feeling the pressures as well because people are ordering online, ordering, doing their food shopping online and they're ordering a lot more. So it'd be interesting to see what the food supply looks like in a year's time because we import a lot of food from overseas, from other countries, are we maybe going to be doing stuff in our gardens um, to kind of survive? Because there is a rumor that they could be, and I'm not trying to be depressed, depressing, but there is a rumor that we could go through this again from October. Um, yeah. There could be a second wave. Yeah, amazing. 
So basically, MasterChef and the competition is going to get harder for, for TV. Yeah. Oh, sorry, but yeah. Oh, sorry, but you also wanted to talk about Parliament, didn't you? How that's going to look like. No, that's uh, cool. I think that was the yeah. question, just to know in terms of work and the world of work, what, what will it look different? But you've added some, some really good things there. So thank you. Um, okay. Tina, I want to go over to you and just say, um, because you mentioned that you've got family members who are vulnerable, just a question I thought would be good for you. Um, it's from Sophie who says, my mum is a key worker in supermarkets and I'm worried about mine and my family's health due to all of us having underlying health conditions. What can we do to try and prevent us getting it or self-isolating whilst we are all living together? Um, so yeah, any tips or tricks that you found living together with people, um, just being mindful of those around you, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Do you know what? I think because we all feel like we don't have a lot of control in this situation. We don't know what information is, is I mean, information is coming out as it comes out, but all we have as a case study is previous countries you know, merely months ago. So we all feel very out of control of the situation. And my biggest thing that I keep remembering is just meticulous hygiene. I don't care if someone thinks I'm being over the top. Every day I um, anti-back all my light switches, my banisters, my handles, any common places, fridge, kettle handle, all those kind of places. And I do it every single day. And antibacterial needs to stay on for four minutes to work. So that's a good tip. You put it on, leave it, and then you wipe it off five minutes later. I'm washing my hands every hour, every half an hour if I remember. I just think being absolutely meticulous with your hygiene is really critical. Changing your pillow, changing your um, bedding more often, changing towels very often. I think a lot of the time we, there's a bit of a British thing where we don't want to be seen to be fussing. Um, mm. And I think we have to fuss, like be your mum in this situation, you know, be really meticulous about it because that will be the difference between um, someone contracting it and someone not. And you can control that. That's the one thing we really can control. So take pride in that and really, really go hard on it. Cause man, I've gone through three bottles of Dettol and I'm not ashamed to say it. <laughs> You've actually come for the whole life, you know. Have I cleaned my bathroom? <laughs> do it all. Just do it, girl. <laughs> no, I need to do that. That is such good practical tips. Thank you, Gina. Um, we're going to open a poll again, guys. So we took a poll at the beginning of the show um, that asked the question, what worries you most about COVID-19? We're going to do it again just to see if any of the positions of what people voted on change. So it's going to be open in a second. Um, and as that opens, Martin, I've got a question from you, uh, for you from Michael. The poll is now live ladies and gents you've got the options there please vote away and then we'll come back to the panelists to see if they were shocked by any of the changes um michael thank you so much for sending in your question you say testing tests are privately available to anyone who wants to pay i've read this in the papers why not on the nhs so yeah first of all is this true is this fake news thank you michael for sharing um can you buy your test privately and if so why not on the nhs so, great question, Michael, and that's a, that's a question I have for the government. Why don't we have enough tests available for frontline NHS workers, for the general public? So, one of the key things that the World Health Organization advised countries to do in response to the COVID-19 pandemic is to test, 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 and test some more. Whereas in the UK, we've fallen far, far behind other comparable countries such as Germany in testing. And the government has been very confusing with their messages on testing. Initially, they said, they go, you know, Boris said that we would have 250,000 tests 
a day by April, and we're in April and we're nowhere near that. Then they downplayed it a bit with Matt Hancock saying that testing was not as required as much, but now they've shifted recently to say that they want to test some more. So that is a concern I have, is that we're not testing enough. For example, in my general practice, we've had, I've had colleagues who have been self-isolating, who could have and potentially could return back to work sooner if they have a test to check whether they in fact are infected with COVID-19 or not, because there are many illnesses such as the common cold which can mimic COVID-19 symptoms. On top of that, you know, there aren't enough tests available. They are saying that they're testing inpatients as a priority, but I know from reports from colleagues who work in secondary care that lots of the um, patients are being rationed in terms of which patients can get tested or not because there aren't, we don't have the testing capacity available. So that's a real concern I have. And you know, one thing I have to say is I have to thank Abena and uh, lots of her colleagues in Parliament for pushing the government on this and trying to hold the government to account and being um, our voice, the voice of the NHS in Parliament in highlighting some of the concerns we've had over PPE, over testing. And I just want to say thank you, Abena, for the work you've been doing because you know we have been really um, concerned about some of the things we've seen on the front line and you've been our voice in Parliament. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I love that, you know, like I proper love this platform just to personally thank people as well. Um, yeah, we love all you guys, man. And so we're going to take um, one last question and then we'll do the poll answers and then we'll close with um, a positive story from each of you. So if you've got a positive story to share, maybe it's something about volunteering or how you've helped someone or something about your work um, in 30 seconds, because I need to wrap up by eight o'clock. That would be amazing. Um, and so my last question I'm going to take is from Shuei. Um, thank you so much you and Mia for, for getting in touch and since we're on this food sort of theme having gone from um yeah Abena talking about how loads of us are going to start cooking more and supermarkets um Meg I just wanted to ask you because you gave some really important and practical advice but but she was asking about dieting um and just giving your advice about routine and getting into a good routine how important is it to just yeah diet and be be conscious of what we're eating and, and doing as well as the exercise as well so really quickly it is massively important um what you eat is incredibly important during this time as well in terms of your physical health as well, as well as your mental health. So mindful eating, this is really a, an amazing time to be mindfully cooking as well and pick up new skills. It's a great way to look after your mental health. But in terms of your immune system, getting the right um, nutrients and vitamins from your food is going to be essential. So there are a lot of things that you can do at home, home remedies, things that you can eat, but really concentrating on getting those fresh, like, Fresh ingredients from your, fruit, um, from your fruit and veg would be really important. So that's what I would say. So your diet is important. And there's a lot of incredible kind of Instagrammers who are doing really quick um, recipes and really quick kind of nutritional co um, content. So you can follow and I'd be happy to, to get my life, my say, to share them with you guys. Yeah, for sure. We'll have to get Mete in the kitchen and just chefing up some new meals. So uh, we're coming for you. We're coming for you, bro. <laughs> um, okay, the results are in and the top ranks for um, our concerns or what worries young people the most when it comes to COVID-19. 35% um, of people say the strain on the NHS. Um, and so just, yeah, pick up from you, Martin. Is that something that you knew was going to be top of the list for young people? 
Uh, yeah, I'm not surprised at all that's top of the list. It's a concern that I have as well. You know, how we respond to this crisis is going to be largely determined about by the National Health Service and our capacity to actually deal with the number of patients that are um, having COVID-19 symptoms. So I'm not concerned at all. My hope is that we can pull together and I am really sure that my colleagues around the country who work on the front line of the NHS will be putting their all to ensure that we combat, suppress and deal with COVID-19. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. Um, having a real quick, people close to me who are at risk, 23%, but also job security at 19% as well. Any advice for those young people worrying about those things? Um, I think in terms of like um, concerns that people have about job security, um, the difficulty is we don't know what situation we're going to be in. And I'll, I'll just say, just focus on what it is you want to do and persevere that. I'd say that, um, if I'm going to be honest, self-employment is a big risk. Um, so you need to think seriously about whether you can financially do that. So I think people are going to be more careful now. Um, in terms of looking at um, type of jobs they go for, if there's going to be an issue, are they going to be protected nationally? I also think the government needs to do more, actually, because I think um, um, for particularly self-employed people contribute so much to this economy. And actually, if we don't support them, we're going to lose those skills. So I'm not, I don't really just want it to just be young people holding their responsibilities on that. I also wanted to go back to the bit about higher education. That is something that I'm also really concerned about and I actually did ask a question to the Minister about that and I know you've got to wrap up soon but I think that a lot more work needs to be done like that and I think Meg mentioned about getting examples we really need examples of those cases to be able to highlight the impact it's going to be able to um, it's going to affect people because those kind of examples are kind of things that can help us shape change in that aspect so that's your answer your question yeah 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 no perfect and especially the shout out to those who are self-employed um yeah so so important okay we have got one minute and counting so if anyone um gina i'll start with you first because you're smiling <laughs> if you've got a tip or a positive story or something to share to wrap us up please fire away okay really quick positive story three old ladies over the age of 70 right before the lockdown were scared of being on their own in their houses because obviously loneliness is a massive problem for older people so they decided to isolate together they bought 10 bottles of prosecco and they bought the box series of the crown and they're basically having like a three-month sleepover and they're all hanging out like they're 18 it's the best story ever and secondly on that note um if you want to feel more connected but you don't feel like you're ready to show up and have big conversations about this kind of thing netflix parties can be like a really fun thing to do i haven't done one yet but you yeah. can log in you can watch the same movie together put on a face mask have some chocolate and discuss the film um so connect with each other online and on uh untraditional ways it's going to really help yeah amazing amazing i know you can see me but i hope you can hear me because i'm just clapping for all of you guys thank you so so much to gina to abana to martin to meg as well um, this is the first of quarantine question time. So guys, if you've logged in, I've partnered up with My Life, My Say to really unpack COVID-19 and the impacts of our lives. So thank you for joining us. Join us again next Thursday, 6.30pm. And until then, stay safe and we wish you all the best. Bye. Can I just say something? Yeah, yeah, go Thank you to you, Swazi. Yeah. yeah, well done, Swazi. Yeah. Amazing. The whole set is the most out to Messi as well, who's been the man behind the tech for all of this. Woo! <laughs>
um, yeah, to everyone who's put their questions in, and maybe to you guys, if you didn't get to share your positive story, find us on Twitter. If you could tweet, that would be amazing. Hashtag quarantine question time. Um, yeah, next Thursday, 8 p.m. We'll see you guys. Thanks, guys. Wash your hands. Bye. 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 <laughs> 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 <laughs>